I'll try again. Good morning. I, I have a theory that when we have a nice Saturday and then it rains on a Sunday, that it's a lot quieter in here. Uh, that's my theory. It's rain. <laughs> so can we just be noisy for a second? Say, good morning, everybody. Morning. There you go. We don't worry. They can't. The neighbours can't hear us. We'll be as noisy as we like in here. It's great to see you all. I hope you're all uh, doing well. You've had a good week. Um, Queen's Jubilee next week. Woohoo! Excited about that. Um, uh, the youth are obviously going to do the bake sale. Let me just encourage you. Just bless them. Um, Every single youth, uh, member of our youth here um, is going on a camp this summer. Um, isn't that amazing? Yeah, come on, that is amazing. Every single one of them is going on a camp. There's two camps. There's New Day and there's Galore or something like that. I can't remember. Zoe will correct me at some point. What's it called? Spree. It was something energetic. Um, so yeah, it's just amazing. And we want to pray that they encounter the Holy Spirit, don't we? That they have a real encounter with Jesus whilst they're there. But they need money to go. So bring them money, okay? That'd be, that'd be awesome. Obviously, as a church, every single one of them is going to... Just keeping you on your feet. Um, we would help them if, uh, if they needed help, but it's, it's great if they can fundraise that. It would be helpful. So, okay, well, this morning we're going to continue in the book of Acts. Um, we're going to be picking right up from where Graham left off last week. If you remember, we had um, kind of this moment with Paul, and uh, it talks about how Paul goes off to um, Tarsus, and that's kind of how it ends, and it says it's going to be this lovely moment in the church. And this is one of those moments we're going to read about um, with Peter. Luke, who's written the book of Acts, he kind of swings the narrative round back to Peter uh, from Paul. And that's who we're focusing on this morning. We're focusing on Peter. And these are the kind of last three chapters we're going to be going through in the book of Acts as a church together over the coming couple of months. So um, there's lots packed into them. I hope you're going to enjoy it and end with a bang. And, um, but today we're in chapter 9. So if you want to open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 9, um, Acts chapter 9, verses 32 to 43. If you don't have a Bible, you can have one for free. Uh, they're at the back. You can take it home with you. And um, you're very welcome to do that. Uh, but let's just pray real quick before we jump into Scripture. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you speak to us today through the power of your Holy Spirit and through the word of God. And we pray, Lord, that we would be open to receiving from you this morning, Lord, that we'd be open to you speaking to us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so Acts chapter 9, verses 32 to 43. It says, As Peter travelled about the country... He went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll, roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Then it switches, another story. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In the Greek, her name was, is Dorcas. It means gazelle. It's a flattering name. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About, the, about that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in, in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda and sent two men to, to him and urged him. 
please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the, to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made them while she was still with them. Peter sent them out of the room, all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. So uh, there's a couple of stories here packed into one short piece of text. And uh, we see two incredible miracles happen, don't we, in, in these short verses. Now, if this happened today, I guarantee both of these people would have book deals and they would tell you the whole story. But we get like a few short verses of what's happened. We get more details about the second healing than we do the first. Um, but we just get a, sh a short piece of information. And we're going to look at them together and unpack them a little bit. But what I wanted to do was just start off because this whole section here with Peter is kind of a little journey he goes on and we're going to be covering it over the coming weeks. Um, so I've got a map to show you. Um, uh, I'm hoping it comes out well. It, it's not really great on the big screen, but this is the best I could do. Um, so down here, the orange line is from Jerusalem, which is where Peter is based. And he heads out the orange land, do you see that, to Lydda, also known as Lod today. Uh, and it's actually where the airport is for Tel Aviv. So if anybody's ever flown to Tel Aviv, you've flown there. Um, and then the green line is where the second story happens. So it's where he goes to heal the woman who's died. Um, and the, so the green line is over to Joppa. Um, and, and then in the coming weeks, we're going to cover the kind of the pink line and the purple line. Um, but I don't know. I love a map. Does anybody love a map in here? I love a map. We have maps on our walls. I just love them. Um, you can take that off. But, but yeah, it just gives you an idea of where they are, where they're going, and maybe that helps you. It helps me to know where uh, it's happening in terms of geography. Um, but it zooms on this place, um, these two separate towns. And the first one, we see a man um, healed uh, who is paralyzed. And the second one, we see... Uh, a woman raised from the dead. And uh, interestingly, little kind of nugget here, is Joppa is where Peter is going to be called um, to minister to the Gentiles. So this is going to be a big turning point in, in Scripture. This is where the, 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 the Messiah is not just for the Jews <laughs> and not just for the people who were waiting for the Messiah, but for everybody, for the whole world. And, and Peter's going to be called from Joppa, uh, which is uh, just great. It's going to be exciting over the next coming weeks. Okay, I'm excited about that, but I am a nerd, so I'm sorry. So the journey, <clears throat> these two stories, uh, is what we're going to just open up a little bit. But I just want to start by talking about Peter. And I want to start by talking about Peter because I think that everybody in this room can associate themselves with Peter. Um, we, <laughs> has anybody ever said anything where afterwards you've just gone, oh, why on earth did I say those things? Why on earth did I say that? What on earth was I thinking? Um, when I was, um, fortunately, uh, I don't say things like that anymore. Uh, but when I was 15, um, I think I was about 15, I was trying to remember back to what year it was in school. 
But um, I only shared this with my wife last night. Um, I only confessed this story to my wife. I thought I best tell her before I tell everybody else. But, <clears throat> but like literally, I was. I, I remember being about fifteen in school, and um, I had this teacher called Mrs. Mrs. Morse, and uh, she she was lovely, like really nice teacher. She was fairly slim, and uh, I, I thought she was a great teacher. And anyway, one day the, the whole class is kind of there. And she stood up the fr- front talking and doing whatever she's doing, teaching. The class is fairly rowdy. I grew up in Redcar, so the class was always fairly, ra- fairly rowdy. And, uh, and I remember looking at her and thinking, oh, Mrs. Morse has got a bit of a tummy on her. And don't go ahead of me. And, uh, and I thought, I wonder if she's pregnant. Uh, now, what's the right thing to do in that situation? Yeah, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> what does a 15-year-old idiot do? Uh, miss, uh, are you pregnant? Uh, in front of the whole class. And to the day I die, I will think of that moment and wince. And have you ever had that, one of those things? I'm sure you have one where you think back and you think, oh, it makes you cringe inside thinking about what you said. By the way, she wasn't pregnant um, and it didn't go well. Me and Mrs. Moss had a difficult relationship from then on out. Um, uh, <laughs> but yeah, for the rest of my life, I will cringe at that moment. And, but fortunately, God works on us, doesn't he? He, he works on us, and, and that's definitely true in the life of Peter. That's who we're talking about today as he goes on this little missionary journey that goes on. The, the, he, he is a man dedicated to preaching about the grace of God. And, he, and he's dedicated to preaching about it because man, did he need the grace of God in his life. Uh, Peter had grown up a fisherman, uh, pulling in nets on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, he was married. Uh, maybe he had children, it doesn't tell us. Um, so we don't know, but he lived in a village called Bethsaida. Uh, but what we, what we do know about him is that one day he met Jesus, didn't he? At the side of the, at the on the beach at the Sea of Galilee, he met with Jesus and uh, he, in that moment, packed up his fishing company and he followed Jesus and he became one of the most influential disciples in the group. And, and Peter, though, we know from reading about him, <laughs> and if you read about me, it'd be a lot worse, but reading about Peter, we know he was prideful. We know he often was unpredictable in what he did. Uh, we know that like a 15-year-old boy in a classroom, he often spoke too quickly or often acted without thinking. And, and we talked about Peter not too long ago, didn't we? He talked about that night that Jesus was arrested. And Peter, you know, uh, Jesus says to the disciples uh, that, that when the shepherd is taken, that's what he says, that he's referring to himself, that the sheep will be scattered. And he's talking about the disciples. But oh no, not Peter. Uh, because he isn't having any of that. Because he says, even though all may fall away, Lord, because of you, I will never, never fail you. I will stand by your side. Even if I have to die, I will die with you. That's what Peter says. Um, and we know that Peter doesn't do that, doesn't he? Uh, he? He denies Jesus, not just once, not just twice, but three times. And in that moment when the rooster crows, just like Jesus told him it would, Peter knows how badly he's failed doing the very thing he swore he would never do in denying not just his best friend in Jesus, but denying God himself. And in that moment, (laughs) 
you like to think that God pretty much took away any bit of pride in that man. And in, in the days following, Jesus would sit and he would have a conversation again with Peter on a beach where he first called him on a beach. And he speaks to him and, and takes away any remaining pride left in him and calls him three times to feed his sheep, to care for his flock. And that's exactly what Peter would spend the rest of his life doing. And that is what he is doing in this moment when we zone in again on Peter. He is a man who has been discipled by Jesus and he has been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And now he is going out into, into Judea, the, the area surrounding Jerusalem, and he is sharing about the grace of God and his, and his goodness towards the, his life. So the first place that Peter goes is, is Lydda. And, and while he's there, he meets a man uh, uh, named uh, Aeneas. And he's paralyzed and he's been completely bedridden for eight years. We don't get anything more than that. We know where he lives, what his name is, and what his problem is. That's all we get. The Bible kind of just gives us what we need. Frustratingly, not what we want at times. And he's been that way for eight years. And, and I mean, can you imagine this man's life? Uh, you know, we, we know that he's a man. He hasn't grown up paralyzed. And we don't know what's caused it. It could have been a, some sort of degenerative d d disease that's happened. Or it could have been an accident that he's been involved in. And he's been left this way, desperate, <laughs> desperate, unable to earn, unable to bring in any sort of finances to the family. And he's been left there. Maybe he's a beggar. We don't know. It's, it tends to be the, the case for people who are, um, who are in that way. And Peter, when he meets this man, without a doubt, he's thinking back to his discipleship. He's thinking back to his time with Jesus, his training as a disciple of Jesus, watching how Jesus acted and how he behaved and what he did. And if you're familiar with the Gospels, you probably have already linked these two stories already. But John 5, 6 to 9 says this. It says, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once or immediately, the man was, was cured and he picked up his mat and he walked. And no doubt in this moment, can you imagine <laughs> um, Peter almost reliving that moment, seeing what Jesus did in that moment, what Jesus did and Peter does exactly the same thing. He tells him to pick up his bed or his mat and to go. And the man does just that immediately. He was healed. And then we see as a result of that, what happens, many people in Lydda and Sharon saw the man was healed and they turned to the Lord. As a result of what they had seen, they decided to follow Jesus and then just then we get this like immediate switch, don't we? So like, you almost want to dwell on that for a second, don't you? And think, hold on a minute, but these two are linked. Luke's done this purposefully. Like, okay, this happened, then this happened. <laughs> it's incredible. As a result of what's happened there, people in Joppa know where Peter is because there's been a healing. 
and we switch to Joppa and we read about a disciple of Jesus, a woman named Tabitha, um, and Luke gives us a little bit more to go on on Tabitha. We know that she's a follower of Jesus. We know that she lives as a disciple. And what I mean by that is people know she's a follower of Jesus by how she acts and what she's doing. And she's certainly well loved by the people um, in, in Joppa. And the people were devastated. They were grieving because she's become ill and she's died. And they've watched her and they've put her in a room. But the disciples in Joppa, they get together and they ask two men, it's about 12 miles to, go to get Peter and to come back. We've got some runners in the room. How fast do you think you can run 12 miles in? If someone's life depended on it. Pretty, pretty quick, yeah? Pretty quick, an hour or so, I reckon. Um, I mean, 12 miles isn't too bad. So off they go, 12 miles. They get Peter and they say, you need to come with us. Um, there's a, and when Peter gets there into the room, where the body is, excuse me, they, they, they're surrounded by widows who are grieving. And they're grieving and they're showing them. I mean, it's a bit of an odd thing, but they're showing him the, 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 the robes that they're wearing because Tabitha's made them. She's this loving, caring disciple of Jesus who's caring for the widows. And they're grieving because they've lost a friend, someone who cared about them, who loved them. Uh, and Peter, no doubt, once again... <laughs> thinks about Jesus, thinks about his discipleship, thinks about his training, and he, and he sends everybody out of the room. And then he starts to pray. And we're going to look at Mark 5, 36 to 42. This is Jesus. Overhearing what they had said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. Hmm. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, it's our friend, James and John, the brother of James. Then they came to the home of the synagogue leader. Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? <laughs> the child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, <clears throat> sent them out of the room, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him. He went in where the child was, he took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha, come, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. Amen. So Jesus says in, in, in Aramaic, he says, Talitha, come. And translated into the Greek, it's Talitha, come. And do you know what Peter says? He says, Tabitha. Oh, there's an I missing. Kumi. <laughs> he says exactly the same thing. There's one letter different. One letter. Talitha, Tabitha. Uh, Talitha means little girl. <laughs> Tabitha is the name of the, of the disciple. And in the, in the Aramaic and in the Greek, there's one letter difference. Isn't that incredible? Sorry, that blew my mind. So Peter is completely dependent on his discipleship, on what Jesus has taught him and how he's leading him. Uh, and, and it tells us <clears throat> that he calls all the believers and especially the widows who have been grieving and desperately asking Peter to help and presented, uh, presented this woman to them as alive. Can you just imagine the outpouring of prayers and worship in that moment? And once again, we read that people all over Joppa and the surrounding region, many people 
come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior because of what's happened in that room. Isn't that amazing? And I just want to think for a second, you know, we just talked about Peter at the beginning. I want to think about how Peter's life has changed um, from this fisherman in Bethsaida. He's this fisherman. <laughs> and think about how his life had completely changed. What he did every day had completely changed, but how he had been completely transformed as a person by Jesus. Not only had he been changed, but he'd been empowered through the Holy Spirit to do these incredible miracles that if you'd probably told him, you know, six years ago of what he would be doing on that day, he wouldn't have believed you ever, you know. But he has an encounter with Jesus, he has an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and his life has changed, his occupation has changed, and what he does on a day-to-day is changed. This man who was too quick to speak, overcommitted, underperforming, unpredictable, and had a whole load of pride as a wally, now he is an instrument for the advancement of the kingdom of God here on earth, performing miracles through his willingness and his humility. He's saying, where do you want me to go next, Lord? What do you want me to do next? And we're going to see that over the coming weeks. What next? Where do you want me to go next? What do you want me to do? He was trained, he was empowered, and people were coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior as a result. And look, this is what I felt God put on my heart for this morning. I felt like there was a thousand different ways I could have gone. (laughs) Uh, But this is what I felt God put on my heart for you this morning. I, I don't know how you walked in here. To be honest, I don't know all of your life stories and, and I don't know what you think of yourself when you look in the mirror. I, I don't know what you see looking back at you. I don't know whether you like yourself. You're happy with yourself. I don't know all the things that you've done in your life. I don't know the things that you regret. You might be sat there and you think, I'm actually, I'm, I'm a pretty average person. I, I have a pretty average life like Peter. I have a pretty average job. I have a pretty average spouse. I, you know, I, there's nothing too special about me. Or you might feel like Peter on the night that he denied Jesus. You might feel like that this morning. You might feel like there's something that's gone on in your life that if people knew the real you, if people knew what you had really done, then actually no one would want to be with you. Even when Jesus comes and sees you face to face, actually you feel ashamed because of who you are and what you've done. You might feel like there's no return from from where your life is now to where it could have been. But I want to tell you something. If Peter's life shows us anything, if these two stories show us anything this morning, it's that it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done, there's the grace of God for you. And I do know that Jesus is asking you, not the person sat next to you, you, to follow him this morning. Just like he called Peter on that beach, he's calling you this morning to follow him. He's asking you to be discipled by him. He wants to train you and he wants to empower you and he wants to send you for the good of his kingdom. Do you hear me? You, not the person next to you, not the person who's better at speaking publicly than you, not the person who who does a bit better in their lifestyle than you, not the person who's got more money, not the person who's got more time, but you. He's calling you to be changed by him, to be empowered by him, and to be sent by him. God has a call on your life and there is grace for you this morning. 
So I want to go through three things real quick, very quick. The first thing is to say is that Jesus wants to teach you, disciple you, and train you and work in your life. Titus 2, 11 to 12 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. That's Jesus. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. The grace of God. When we receive the grace of God, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the incredible part is, is that living in that grace, we are taught to say no to the things that are ungodly, are they going to lead to death, are the things that, things that the world offers us, we, we are taught in the grace of God to say no to those things. We become transformed people on the inside and on the out. That's why when we see people have a real encounter with Jesus, man, have you seen people have a real encounter with Jesus? They are never the same again. Never the same again. And when we have an encounter with Jesus, we are never the same again. We, we know that we're accepted, right? When we accept Jesus, our Lord and Savior, that we are seen as clean and righteous in the eyes of God, that we have received salvation in all of its fullness in that moment. But we also know that, speaking for myself, I'm a numpty. So what that means is, is that I don't become perfect right away. Actually, I'm very imperfect. I, I could bring Jenny up for five minutes to tell you about that right now. But I'm imperfect in many ways. And, and, and although I'm not a sinner anymore, I'm a saint, I still sin. <laughs> but the good news is, is that the grace of God is sufficient to teach us when to say no, when to walk away, when to be repentant. And when we live in, under that grace, actually it doesn't just help us to, be, to, to understand that we are forgiven and righteous, but actually when to say no, that, that's not what God has for me. That's not the best. And Philippians 1 verse 6, be confident of this. He who has begun a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So God is committed to you. Man, man alive, commitment in this day and age, it's almost non-existent in the world, isn't it? But God is committed to you. You, uh, he is fully, we've talked about promises this morning. Thank you, Ginny, for bringing that. But God is faithful to fulfill his promises. He is committed to you. He will never leave you, never forsake you, never, never walk away from you, never say, okay, that's enough. I'm, I'm done, I'm out. I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna get my money back, you know. He's committed to you. Nothing in heaven or earth can ever remove you. No power of hell, no scheme of man, we sing it all the time, don't we, can ever pluck you. He is committed to you. And without a doubt, he will fulfill his work in you by the grace of God. So, so he's committed to us. And what I want to ask me and you this morning is are we committed to him? Lord, help me to be more committed to you. And some simple things that we can do is, one, read his word. Man, he's got so many things to share with you through his word. Not YouTube, his word. Not what your buddy heard online, his word. The second thing is, is do we spend time praying? Show your commitment to him by just talking with him, by sharing with him, by being in relationship with him. And do we give money? Do we tithe? Do we give him what is rightfully his? And, and I wouldn't just bring those three things to you. I don't, I'm not going to dwell on them. I'm not going to teach into them. But I'm just going to say, maybe God just wants to perk you and say, hey, I'm committed to you. 
And have you ever heard that saying, you get out of something what you put into it? <laughs> if you're feeling a bit dry, start putting him first, commitment to him. Okay, second thing is, he wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen to that? He wants you to be filled with his power and with his spirit. The whole series that we've been looking at in the book of Acts is just jaw-dropping in the fact that we're watching these guys who were scared sheep running from the, running from the law, running from the, the, the Sanhedrin. All of a sudden, they stand before the Sanhedrin emboldened and empowered. Why? Because what's changed? The power of the Holy Spirit is within them and, and they are changed people. And, and, and the whole book of Acts is exciting because it's watching what happens in church when the Holy Spirit is free to do as he pleases in people's lives. Man, we want to be a church that says, Holy Spirit, come, uh, this is a dangerous prayer, and fill my life and have your way with me. Man, and, and you know, just, just in this past week, uh, just in this past week, as I've been studying for this talk, man, I read a I don't know if I should go down this route, but I read a commentary and it was a great commentary, a great piece on, on this text. And, and then he finished by saying, that's the age of the apostles though, those miracles, and we shouldn't expect them now. And I'm like, man alive, do you need the Holy Spirit to work in your life? And, and, and this is it. When the Holy Spirit breaks out, everything changes. We see miracles everywhere we look. Um, just this week, um, she's not here, but I'm not going to mention, but but but. She, Someone came to me and said, I've had all these aches and my joints, I broke something and it's never been right since. I got prayed for last week and I have no more pain. I am completely pain-free. I'm off the medication because everything is better. I don't know how to explain it other than God's done a miracle. AC, my younger brother, grew up with a blind eye. God healed it. And he went to the, the optometrist and he said, for the first time in his life, this man has, has peripheral vision and we have no reason to explain it. We had people healed in the car park in this past year that doctors can't explain. There are people in this room who can put their hands up and say, when I received prayer and the Holy Spirit came into my life, fear and anxiety left me and I am, I am in such a better place because of what the Holy Spirit has done. There are people who have visions, who have prophetic words that are just right. They have words of wisdom and knowledge that they, people that they're supposed to pray for and they become believers. The Holy Spirit is working in people's lives and he wants to continuously fill us with his power and embolden us and empower us and send us out into the world. I mean, if that's not something to be excited about, to get out of bed for in the morning, I don't know what else is. And we need to be continuously, the Bible talks, Paul talks about continuously being filled with the Spirit. Keep on being, being filled with the Spirit. We need to ask every day. Jesus wants to train us and disciple us. The second thing is he wants to empower us. And why? The third point, because he wants you to be his witness. Why does God want to teach you? Why does he want to train you? Why does he want you to be his disciple? And why does he want to empower you? Because there is a world out there that is lost and without hope. I don't know about you. I, I don't know if it's just because I'm getting older and grayer. Um, I am getting grayer, unfortunately. But the more I look at the world around me, the more I realize how lost the world is. Uh, we live in a world that is desperate, in desperate need of a savior. And his name is Jesus. Uh, uh, and he's calling you to be his witness. You don't need to be in a, in a crazy, amazing Billy Graham stadium-filling evangelist. You just need to be able to share your story of what Jesus has done in your life with your friends and family. That's it. That's what being a witness is. It's like being in a court 
that same word, being able to share the story of what you've seen and what you've heard and how that's affected you. That's what we're called to be, his witnesses. There is no hope in self-help books. Have you been to Waterstones lately? Man, just self-help books galore. There is no hope in those. There's no hope in you beating the bookmaker and winning that big accumulated bet. I'm telling you, there is not. There's no hope in fame. There's no hope in the amount of likes that you get on your social media post. There's no hope in you winning the lottery. There's no hope in you voting for the right political party with the right leader at the right time. There is no hope in that. The only hope that we have in this world is Jesus. Is Jesus. Colossians 1, 27 to 29 says this, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. What's that mystery? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we, we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Our only hope is Christ Jesus. Our only, the only hope for this world is Jesus. And we're called to be discipled, to be empowered, and to be his witnesses. And that's what we see with Peter, the numpty, the, the guy who was full of pride, the guy who got it wrong, the guy who talked like a 15-year-old schoolboy and, and said what he was thinking rather than thinking about what he was going to say. That is the hope. It was Christ within him that was going to be the hope of glory for this world. And as a result of Jesus, uh, Peter, sorry, being willing to be discipled by Jesus, being willing to be empowered by Jesus and being sent by Jesus is that we see people giving their lives to him. And we wanna come back to that realization this morning, don't we, that it is Christ in you that is the hope of glory. Christ working within me, empowering me, sending me. I'm going to ask the band to come back up and we're just going to finish with prayer and then we're going to take communion together as a family. So Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you for this morning. But Lord, would we be a people who look at Peter and see how you work in everybody's life? And Lord, that everybody includes me. Jesus, would we be your people willing to be taught, discipled, trained by you? And that might be the simple things. Maybe our commitments have got out of line. Maybe we've put other things, other people first. But Jesus, help me to be devoted to being your disciple, to following you. And Jesus, if I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit afresh this morning, would you come and would you fill me? Would you fill me afresh that I might be empowered, that I might be emboldened, that I might be equipped to be your witness to this lost and broken world?